Hello and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to learn about the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating on the American shorelines. And I'm so excited for you all to meet my guest for this episode because not only is she brilliant and just an absolute joy to be around, but we get to talk about aquariums, the mid-Atlantic, and so much more. So today I am joined by Maggie Ostall, who is the Conservation Policy Manager for the National Aquarium in Baltimore, Maryland. And the National Aquarium is the one of the largest public aquariums in the United States. It is one of the top tourist attractions in Maryland. And in all honesty, it is just really cool. So I feel like I could go on and on about how special this place is, but I think Maggie will do a much better job at that than I will. So Maggie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be be on, on the podcast. So I want to start off by taking some time to get to know you a little bit better. Um, starting with, you know, where did you grow up and do you find that you always had a connection to the outdoors and nature? Sure. So I did grow up in the mid-Atlantic, although I grew up in the landlocked state of Pennsylvania, um, central Pennsylvania. Um, there is no ocean um, uh, on the border of Pennsylvania. So I um, have not lived there since I graduated high school for any longer than a few weeks at a time in between gigs. Um, it's a very nice place. It's just that there's there's no ocean bordering mm-hmm. it. Um, so I grew up in, in central Pennsylvania and um, I have uh, had the great, great fortune um, and luck to live in lots of places before three years ago returning um, to this region um, for a couple different reasons, including including this position here at National Aquarium. Um, and um, I, I have always felt a connection to water um, and uh, being in or on or near the water. Uh, I don't spend nearly enough time in the water. Um, but I feel like by proxy, I'm, I'm really working for the health of water. So when I'm not, when I'm not near it, <laughs> I still have that connection because, um, I'm committed to, to trying to make it better for me and everyone. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always, I've always been, um, very happy to be, exploring and and trying to understand bits of nature or wildlife or specifically watery environments um if i could have gills that would that would i would like them i would like to have gills <laughs> what an amazing um, experience that would yeah. be <laughs> wouldn't that be great i would really if, if there was one thing that i could just like spontaneously evolve it would be gills <laughs> It's like when anyone yeah. asks what your superpower would be, yeah, um, I want gills. That's a great <laughs> yeah. one to be able to go and yeah. explore the ocean, the water. That would yeah. be incredible. And I definitely relate to you on, you know, I think if, if when I look back on my, my career trajectory, it definitely started out um, in more of a field work uh, type of position. And I have mm-hmm. now slowly transitioned into more of the policy wonky Mm -hmm. desk job, um, where Mm -hmm. I'm not fortunate enough to be outdoors every single day, but I'm, you know, pretty much daydreaming about being outside all the time. Um, so I appreciate that you brought that up that, you know, even in those moments that you're not able to be physically outdoors and connecting with the resource and the environment, 
you're still working and doing something to make sure that it's healthy and resilient and is there for us to continue enjoying. Well, and I think it's, again, I'm, I feel very lucky that I've gotten to, and, and there will be more, but I, I can draw upon the experiences. I, I like to say I have a desk job, but it is a desk job at a really cool, at a really cool place at, <laughs> at the National Aquarium. Um, and um, certainly there is water nearby. So all I have to do is actually remind myself to get up and take a moment. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I go out to the inner harbor and take a look. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. But, you know, also being able to just draw on the, on the experiences that I've been able to have that often involve being in ear in near or on the water. Yeah. And I, I think for me, it's, it's a little hard to pinpoint one specific thing that has sparked my interest in pursuing a path in the conservation field, but rather it was more of a, a series of smaller events, but yep, I've same. heard. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, I've heard from some of my guests that they have this like definitive moment where their path became so clear to them. And I was curious, and I'm just wondering, like, what is it that sparked your interest in um, pursuing a career in the conservation field? Um, and do any moments in particular stand out as significant to leading you to where you are right now? Um, a couple. I mean, I agree. If for me, it hasn't been, oh, it was this, it was this memory in this moment that was the epiphany of like, oh, I will do this. Um, you know, I, I think it's great. I think some people probably do have that. I, for me, it was more, I have a couple, a couple, I think formative memories and formative, um, uh, experiences that I think more than others, um, may have, may have pointed me in, in the career path that I'm in, but it is, it is, it is sort of a couple jewels of, of a whole, of a whole constellation. Right. So, um, that's a mixed metaphor anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, one of my earliest memories, and I'm pretty sure it's my memory and not, you know, something that my parents were reflecting on that I have, a, you know, like, isn't interesting. It. Something, yeah. something like our, our, our general, genuine memories and other things. It's like, no, I, I think I remember that. But or is it because I've just been I've been told that so many mm -hmm. times by, you know, my adults. But um, uh, I was very for my, I, I feel like I won the. I feel like I won the parent lottery. Um, I, I believe that I won the parent lottery. I, um, uh, my parents, um, I, I lost my mom a couple of years ago and that, that was formative in and of itself. But, um, but you know, my mom and dad are, are just two of the best people I've ever known. I'm going to get a little bit teary. So sorry about that. No but, need to apologize um, at all. They yes. Were, <laughs> they were, um, they, they took me and my sister to really cool places. We were, we were very lucky that, we got to do some amazing trips together as a family, most of which were, were um, you know, water, um, wonderful places that involved water. My dad is a scuba diver. He, he, um, he definitely um, helped spark my interest in scuba diving, although I have not been scuba diving in an embarrassingly long time. I need to work on that. Um, but uh, one of the first trips that I really remember was when I was a young, a young girl, and, and we got to go... Um, we got to go with my parents for a, a meeting that my dad was at in the Grand Cayman, uh, in the Cayman Islands. And, um, that's the first time I went snorkeling. Uh, I was, I think seven, maybe, maybe, yeah, I was probably seven years old. So very lucky, very fortunate. I acknowledge that that was, that was just a really lucky break because <laughs> thanks to my parents. Um, and, um, I just thought, it was the first time I remember seeing anything resembling a reef and, you know, these, this amazing, I, I honestly, you feel like you're, you've entered 
an Aquarian, mm-hmm. right? Like you feel like, oh, now I get to be part of this amazing world. Um, and and I think looking back, not at the time, but looking back, that was that was a moment of like this, this, this is this is connected to what I need to do whenever possible or always. Um, so and then you know I just I was always I was always that kid who would do book reports about about um, you know ocean books island of the blue dolphins is one of my favorite books because it was about this this amazing young girl who makes a life for herself <laughs> i mean so i'm rambling but point being is that it's always been there's always been this theme of kind of ocean and water through everything in the literature that i've that i've you know geared myself towards in in you know the science reports i remember in in middle school i was doing a report on echolocation and belugas and people were like i how did you why and <laughs> Like, well, I want to write about blue whales. <laughs> it's like they should have so, known you'd I mean, work at the aquarium at that yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I think it's just, it's, it's just always been an interest of mine. And I don't exactly know why I've been wired to think about the ocean most of the time or all of the time, but it has, it has been a consistent thing. The other thing that, um, uh, specifically to kind of sustainability and conservation before they were, they were somewhat of the buzzwords that they are fortunately and finally becoming today um, and, and entering more of the consciousness of a lot more people as, as, as um, uh, important concepts. Um, I remember distinctly, and at the time being quite embarrassed by it, I remember distinctly that my mom would, um, this was in the day before we had single stream recycling and it was very easy for everybody to recycle, um, even though recycling is not the first solution reducing is the first solution, but, um, she would, she would pull aluminum cans out of the trash cans at our band, a marching band and, 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 you know, uh, music, I was involved in music a lot growing up in high school and, um, she would pull aluminum cans out of the trash to collect them to take to the recycling center because they should be recycled, not thrown away. And, um, at the time I was horrified and embarrassed cause I was a teenager, but <laughs> looking back, I, that was, that was an idle moment. You know, that was, that she was my idol. It turned out, um, because she was doing the right thing and she modeled that for me. So, um, so that, that to me, I think was probably the first, first real memory of why I want, why I wanted to be in the sustainability conservation side of, of, you know, oceans, um, um, and, and environmental conservation. Um, and, you know, as I was thinking about, as I was thinking about, um, some of the uh, some of these themes um i realized that to be fair i've always been a pretty strong-willed person and so if if i'm being honest i think it's kind of fitting that i'm in the i'm in the business of trying to encourage and and instill uh, better behavior by by myself and others um i think it's it you know i i like to be bossy when it's when it's the right thing to be bossy about so um if i'm if i'm being honest that's that is that is part of me that that is that is suited to trying to um, incentivize or educate or do outreach in support of um, better habits by us all, myself included. Yeah, and I think there's really something to be said for you know leading by example and practicing what you preach. And I, you know, you see that you mentioned with your mom um, pulling you know cans out of the trash and recycling <laughs> them, but 
Um, it, was hard, it was so embarrassing, but it was, it was the right thing to do. But it made an impression was, on you, right? And, and now it's like yep. through, through that example, you're now carrying on her legacy and then even further your own family's legacy of when you're growing up and traveling and scuba diving and snorkeling, you know, those are the things that you saw that you valued in the world and you were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go do that and connect with your family in that way. And, you know, I feel very fortunate in a similar way where I grew up along the coast. My father was in the Coast Guard. And um, so we were always, you know, exploring the outdoors and on the coastline and and having those early memories um, that really stick with me um, and yeah. are so formative to who I am now as an adult um, that, you know, you start to see that legacy take place where now, you know, we both have these things that we value all because our parents led by example that now we are going to try to instill in others if, you know, if we end up going on and having our own families or, you know, just our general communities. Um, it's so yeah. important, yeah. I feel like, to get out there and like explore and connect with that resource for that reason. I agree. I agree. And I think that those, those leaders, those, the people in our lives that lead by example, I mean, certainly in my case, it was, it was my parents first and foremost and, and other family members, but I think those can be, those people can be, you know, um, uh, aunts and uncles or, you know, community friends or leaders or, um, you know, a teacher, obviously some of, some of the teachers that I had the the great privilege of, of learning from growing up. I mean, teachers are, are heroes, right? So I just to clarify, I think that those, those leaders can be, can be lots of people. Um, but it's really exciting when, when, when anyone is able to identify with an adult who's, who's doing, doing cool Absolutely, things. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're learn more about, about that. So Um, but yeah, I feel very lucky. They they come in many shapes and sizes and ages and, you know, and, um, it's, it's just fun sometimes to be able to reflect on your own heroes and, and take a moment to appreciate them and and talk about them and, and then, you know, look at what made them so special to you and try to embody that a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. so I know I, you mentioned a few of the places you've been able to get outside and, and go snorkeling and recreate. And I'm curious to know if you have, um, do you have like a favorite spot in either the mid-Atlantic or the rest of the world um, to get outside and what makes that so special I, to you? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I love that question because people are like, oh, I, again, like it's been great to to fit in a lot of traveling to date. I'm, I'm kind of on a hiatus right now for a variety of reasons, uh, mostly to do with my dogs and, and my nephews. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I've been very lucky to travel lots of places and, and may, and, and really try to travel often by myself to lots of places, which I think in and of itself is um, a good experience, um, especially for women to have if, if they can in some way, shape or form. Um, I think it's, it's very, um, it's very, it's very important, um, in whatever small or large trips, um, to, to spend time with oneself and, and be comfortable with oneself. Um, uh, but to me, I mean, I, I love that question of where's your favorite place to go because everywhere I've been has, has, has had something about it that, that is, that makes it a favorite because of that, that specific character, um, but I think some of the really big 
some of the places that I've really enjoyed and and I've returned to a number of times, mostly because there's a connection to either family or very close friends in addition to the place itself. The sense of place includes loved ones in addition to to the the awe-inspiring beauty of that place. And and two of them, they're islands, obviously. I think islands are, are attractive <laughs> because they're surrounded by ocean. Um, so that's one. Um, but I, I have family, I have extended family who are in Hawaii on the island of Oahu. And so um, while I've never lived there, I've been very lucky to visit it many times. And, and um, I love Hawaii. <laughs> and um, I need to get back there. It's been a while. But um, um, the, the Hawaiian islands, um, are a big favorite. And, um, and then sort of, I, I think similarly Iceland, um, I have, I have an Icelandic sister through, through an exchange program many years ago. And so she and her family are, are like family to me in Iceland. I've been very lucky to, to visit them many times. Um, I, I find there to be some interesting similarities between Hawaii and Iceland. You know, they're both, they both have some really interesting volcanic and, you know, um, stark stark beauty i would say hawaii being a little bit warmer and more tropical iceland being cold and 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 scandinavian um cold temperatures people are very warm um <laughs> and and scandinavian i think it's just i in some ways to me they're they're two sides of of a similar coin um not the same coin but a similar coin and um I have, I have a lot of great memories um in both of those places um so i would say those are those are two of my favorites but I can't say that any any place that I've been to hasn't had a favorite aspect. I love that you just said that. So, so I mean, first. Oh, I yeah, forgot. Yeah. I'm sorry. I need to also add in Ireland. <laughs> I was I was able to live in. Oh, embarrassing. <laughs> um, I was able to live in Ireland for a year. Oh, amazing. Very serendipitous work experience uh, many years ago, and and it's it, I, I need to get back there as well, but. Um, being able to to connect with my you know Irish American heritage and and work on on ocean and fisheries issues and um, live in Ireland for a year, also an ice also an an island also surrounded by water, um, amazing that 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 has to be in there too. I would say those are kind of two three of my top. Yeah, I feel like favorites. you have listed off. I mean, three of my my. So it's sort of like one of my favorite places and two that I think are my favorite places, but I've yet to go to. Uh, so so I, I actually was born in Hawaii on Oahu and lived there like the very early parts of my life and um, have been fortunate enough to go back place. and visit. Um, it has been a while. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time that I can go and explore. But, um, you know, Iceland and Ireland have been, I don't know if you feel this way or if any of the listeners feel this way, but there are always these places that like you just feel drawn to and you can't really explain mm-hmm. why. Iceland and, and Ireland are two of those places for me. Um, so you're adding a little bit of fuel to my fire to, <laughs> to get out there and, and start making these plans of travel there happen. And I also really enjoy They're that phenomenal. you brought up, um, you know, it's like, there's always something great about wherever you go and wherever you are. And yeah. I, I've been yeah. really... Um, lucky in, in my life where I do a good amount of traveling and sometimes, you know, the places that I go to that are the places that I might least expect to enjoy are some of my favorite places. And I think that's, it's just all in the mentality of you're going to find something that you love about everywhere that you go. Um, and it's, you know, I just kind so. of 
And if you and if you don't, then you need yes. to work harder. Yeah. I think that's my yeah. opinion. Because everywhere, everywhere has just. I mean, I'm I'm still new to Baltimore and 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 to Maryland. Really, I mean, I've lived here for three years. I having having lived in many different places. I find that it takes at least two years to really feel like you get even a sense of what the place is really about. Um, certainly, you know, you, you, if you live there for a number of months or a year, you can get a sense. But I feel like you really you really start to, to get a feel for a place after you've been there for at least two years. And um, so, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm starting and I think it also takes longer as you get older because you get more set in your ways. I'm get, I, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really, I, you know, I'm really enjoying, I'm really enjoying Baltimore. Baltimore has a lot of history that even, even though I grew up and li- when I grew up uh, t- less than two hours from here, there are things that of course I didn't know because, you know, we're all in our, in our, in our own little worlds, but it's been really fun to get a feel for, um, a city that's, you know, uh, one of the oldest cities in, in the U S you know, it's older than, than some of the other ones I lived in on the West coast. Um, you know, it, it's just got, it's just got a lot of character. It, it's got, it's got some quirkiness, which is always fun. You know, I think that it, there, there are great things to, to be experienced no matter where you go or visit or live. And, it's it's exciting to find them and and figure out what they are, whether it takes a few weeks or whether it takes yeah, a few years. Yeah, and it, it, um, so I'm still enjoying exploring the Baltimore and the Chesapeake Bay. I mean, I find it often. I I find the fact that I, I lived in the Chesapeake Bay watershed growing up, but I really did not know much about the largest estuary in 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 the U.S. So now I'm I'm learning right? about I know. it so, with a little bit of a, of a professional and informed lens about what I need to know. So it's it's exciting. So wild to think that that watershed goes all the way up to New York. It's massive, and you know, so many right? people just don't even know that they live in it or anything about it. It's I returned to the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and this time around, I'm gonna I'm gonna yes, learn a lot yes, more about yes. it. Yes, and you know, I think you you really hit the nail on the head there with think, thinking about like how long it takes to fully like sink in and appreciate a place. And you, when you were talking about that, you had me reflecting on when I moved, I, when I moved to Maryland, so I lived in Annapolis, Maryland for a few years before I moved up to Boston. Okay. And um, I think what I really loved is I moved there and I knew nothing about Maryland, about Annapolis. I moved for a job and, you know, just looked at it as a big adventure and um, you know, I just ended up falling completely in love with the state of Maryland and the mid-Atlantic as a whole, but especially Maryland, because it has something to offer for everyone. And so thinking about it from an outdoor enthusiast perspective, you have these like rolling hills and small mountains that are great for hiking in the western part of the state, all the way to like the beautiful beaches along along the coast and then with the Chesapeake Bay basically right, like right, right in the middle of it all and then like you know even for people that aren't necessarily geared to being outdoorsy you have what you have like Baltimore, DC, Annapolis, Richmond like right there yep. with all of these like historic old small towns and cities like it is just such a special area of the country. It's a lot of fun and I have a lot more exploring to do. Um you're actually now you're adding to my bucket <laughs> list of like oh, guys this place out and I haven't been hiking really in Western Maryland yet. I need to do that. And so it is, it is, it's exciting to when these conversations are always great. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm just adding to my to-do yes, list. Mutual inspiration. Um, 
It's great. And it's yeah, awesome. so now I'd like to dive just a little bit deeper into your your early career. Um, and just to hear a little bit more okay. about what what was yeah. <laughs> Let's move so, on. So I mean, wherever you <laughs> no, fall I'm on not. this timeline and wherever you want to share with us is totally up to you. Uh, but so what what was the process like for you with getting your foot in the door of the conservation world? Like how did you get your start? Um, well, so I did, I think, um, so again, for me, it was always ocean and the ocean as, as you, and I'm sure many of your listeners know is most of this planet. So that's a pretty big canvas to, <laughs> to winnow down to some sort of, you know, focused career. Um, it was, um, I knew that I wanted to have a scientific background, so I was always really interested in science, um, everything. I mean, I, I like, I'm curious about a lot of things, but I would say that I'm, I nerd out a lot on, on, on the scientific side of things. I, I knew I wanted to have a, a solid science background. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to have an understanding of, of, um, I knew by, by the time I went to college that I wanted to have an understanding of sort of decision-making because I, I already understood at that point that, you know, I wanted to have a sense of how how you use science to make um, to make better decisions. I, I don't think I could have phrased it then, but um, I knew that I wanted to be. I, I wanted to have an interdisciplinary background so that I could be well situated to know the know the the scientific reasoning and also have a, an understanding of of the process and of you know even the the economics and the legal side of of why why government has a role to play and why a private sector has a role to play. And I'm certainly still learning those things, but I, I knew then that I wanted to have a, a, a fairly good understanding of systems. Um, and so interdisciplinary um, courses and, um, and, and skill sets and training would be important. Um, and so I, and I think probably some of it was luck, but I'm really glad now that somehow I must've known that on some level because um, my under, so I, I chose to go to um, do my undergrad at Duke University. Um, and um, part of that was also linked to my family. I, I grew up, um, you know, hearing about, about the, the long time that my, my, both my parents are in the, were in the medical field. Um, and um, my dad did all of his, all of his school and training at Duke. And so it was, it was a, it was a, a, a place that, that held family connections and still does. Um, and I loved my undergraduate education. I studied biology and environmental science and policy. And I also majored, um, I, I double majored in, in biology and environmental science and policy. And Duke does not have a, um, I don't, I believe still, they do not have a, a quote marine biology major, but you're able to kind of focus any, any of your, um, any of your, of your degrees. And so I focused both of my majors around marine science and, and ocean science. Um, and I really just, I really liked learning. I liked that thread of learning about lots of different things in relation to the ocean. Um, and, you know, it was a liberal arts education. And so I did a couple of things besides just science, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was a helpful underpinning to really have some interdisciplinary, um, uh, courses from the get-go. Um, if I, if I don't do regrets, I don't have regrets, but if I went back and did it all over again, I would take <laughs> psychology. <laughs> I would take a few, I would take a bunch <laughs> of psychology courses. Um, 
I, I know I can still do that. Um, but you know, that, that's what I would have done earlier on if I, if I could go back, if I had to go back and do it over again. Um, and then, you know, it was always just about kind of figuring out, it took me, it took me well out of, and I still am to some extent, some extent, but it took me well past the four years of undergraduate to figure out what, what about the ocean, like kind of where in the ocean, <laughs> what, what area so of ocean yeah. I really wanted to work on, right? Um, which is great because there's really a lot to do. Um, and um, I, uh, it's, I guess for me, it's easiest to go chronological. So after my undergraduate um, in which I was able to do some study abroad, so that was, that was helpful to get a sense of what happens in other places besides just, you know, the, this, the, the U S context. Um, I was very, very, very happy and very lucky that I got to do study abroad. Um, and, uh, then when I finished college, I, I did an internship. I did an education internship with, uh, Sea Grant and through the university of Georgia. Um, so I think Sea Grant is an amazing, um, an amazing, uh, program and, and function, through NOAA, uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, um, and universities in all the coastal states and Great Lakes. Um, I think it's it's an it's probably still an undervalued asset that we have in this country, but it's it's it, it was great for me. I really um, I enjoyed working through that that one year program, and then that was actually the serendipitous connection that that led me to being able to work for a year in Ireland. Um, through some, frankly, some um, some of the staff at University of Georgia and and then the staff at the Marine Institute in Ireland, um, and so working um, essentially as a consultant in Ireland with the Marine Institute, uh, that was where I really got interested in fisheries specifically. Fisheries meaning, um, you know, the stock, the fishing, the the stock of of, of fish and the you know, economic system of people who are relying on that fish for their livelihood and the laws that are governing that, that system and the consumers, the people that are, that are eating the seafood. I mean, to me, fisheries were just a really interesting, um, world. And so, um, I decided to go to graduate school, um, to learn more about marine policy, but specifically fisheries. I came back to the U S and I went to university of Washington, um, for a master's degree specifically in marine policy. They have a, they have a school of marine affairs, um, that, uh, I was able to take some courses within their, within their fishery school and within their oceanography school. But I was in the school of marine affairs, which is now the school of marine and marine and environmental affairs, I believe. Um, and, uh, really enjoyed, um, uh, working with the people I'm, you know, I, I wish I were seeing more of my graduate cohort um, more often, but we're sort of scattered all over the place around the world. Um, and I'm grateful to the internet for being able to keep in touch with them. But um, I, I really enjoyed learning really detailed um, policy, you know, ocean policy, marine policy, coastal policy, um, and, and what those, what those laws and, and processes and institutions are. Um, and then for a time, for a couple of years after that, I, I worked in, in more specific policy advocacy. I, I was, um, uh, fortunate to work with the oceans program with environmental defense fund, um, on the West coast in their, in their, in their California office, um, really working on specifically mostly state fisheries with a little bit of, of, um, 
U.S. fisheries along the West Coast, uh, the the Pacific Fishery Management Council, but but more so some of the state fisheries um, in California, and um, uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. And then uh, 2009 came, and the recession came, and everybody sort of had to figure out how to how to keep working on this stuff in the midst of a global <laughs> recession. Um, and so, you know, um, as, as, as is often the case in nonprofit world, um, uh, I was no longer able to keep working on what I was working on because the funding ran out. Um, and then I, then rather than moving, I remember this because at the time it was kind of, it was sort of myself and others, uh, and, and my family and, and, and my networks just sort of assumed that, you know, we would move for whatever job we could find, you know, it, it is difficult, I think, sometimes to carve out in any, in any industry, in any career, it can be difficult to, to um, keep maintaining that path. Um, but I think sometimes it is, it, it is distinctly difficult in the environmental world. Um, and this is a tangent, I think, you know, our society um, does not always value the people that are really working on, um, environmental issues and, and making sure that we, we can, mm-hmm. you know, have, have the basic resources in order to keep being an expert source of working on those issues. Um, so anyway, point being is that rather than up and move again for a job, I had decided by then that I really liked living in the, in the Bay area. Um, I really enjoyed, um, where I was and I did not want to just up and move wherever, wherever there was a job for me. So I, some, I, I don't know how I did it now. Looking back, I, I have, I had more energy then. I was younger. I carved out a number of, a number of ocean related jobs in, in the Venn diagram of outreach and education and policy and, um, uh, and just for fun, some some catering thrown in there um, because you know, got to pay the bills. Um, but I I basically mm-hmm. stay. I I was determined to stay put um, in the Bay Area and hopefully still be able to work somewhere in my field because I wanted I wanted to stay where where home was at the time um, in in San Francisco and in Oakland and um, and so I I did I I think at one point I was working for three or four different organizations at once and, you know, part-time capacities or consulting capacities. Um, and, uh, ultimately I was able to keep working in the Marine conservation space. Um, I was, I taught, um, I taught, I went back to teaching and here's one thing I will recommend. If, if you don't have to be like a summer camp counselor in your thirties, I would recommend maybe thinking whether or not you want to be a summer camp counselor in your thirties, because, it was a challenge. I'm glad I did it, but um, not necessarily what I would advise. Um, it was it was fascinating. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But um, so I worked with I worked with a great organization called the Marine Science Institute in Redwood City, California, teaching um, teaching about the San Francisco Bay Estuary and. Um, you know, doing courses for uh, mainly elementary and middle school students, sometimes high school students. Um, and meanwhile, I was also a consulting researcher with the Seafood Watch program with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, working on sustainable seafood um, uh, research and 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 reports. And um, 
did some catering jobs and I'm sure there were some other things in there too, but it was, it was, it was an interesting time because I was really able to juggle lots of different things. Um, and ultimately that was what led me to a position with my first aquarium, um, my first full-time position with an aquarium, aquarium of the Bay in in San Francisco, which is, um, a great little aquarium on Fisherman's Wharf. Um, so I worked there for a few years and, um, and then this this opportunity came with the National Aquarium all the way on the other side of the country, and um, I felt that it was important to um, create a little bit more of a of a balance so that I could uh, be closer to my family. Um, I have nephews now, and I did not want to be a whole a whole continent away from them. I wanted to mm-hmm. not have to be. Um, this is blending kind of the career thing, but, but the decision I made for the first time really in moving back to the East coast and moving to the mid Atlantic and coming here, um, it was the first time that I put, that I put career on equal footing with, um, a bit more of a life balance. Um, I wanted to be able to, the West coast is amazing and it's wonderful, but it is exceedingly difficult seemingly more so every year to work in conservation and to work as a, work in a nonprofit and be able to have savings. I mean, it's important, it's important to do mm-hmm. some adulting. Um, so that was, that was a big factor in my career, um, that, that I, I was, was, I prioritized, um, in a different way than I had previously. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but to me, it's, it, there has always been a determination to keep working somewhere in, marine conservation. And sometimes it has not, there, there, there were no plans. And so it was just a matter. the plan was <laughs> keep working on marine conservation using the skills that, um, that I, I try to keep learning. And, um, that was it. That was the plan. And, uh, so as a result, I've been able to do things that I never necessarily envisioned or planned on doing, but I, 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 I'm glad I did. And it was a great experience and I learned something from everything. And, um, so I think for me, that's, that's the, that I don't know if I had known to use that advice that I would have done it, but looking back, um, I think it's been great to just sort of just make it happen. You know, I just, I was determined to keep working in my field and, I'm just now, it's interesting. I'm just now struck with how often, how often do we maybe hear, I've heard it many, many, many times over the past couple decades, the, the, um, the sentiment of when you meet someone and you tell them what you do, when I work in ocean conservation, I work on marine conservation, I do marine policy, coastal policy, whatever it is. Um, I'm a, I'm a marine biologist. I, I, you know, I work on oceanography research, whatever it is that is this small but mighty team ocean that we're on, I often get the remark, oh yeah, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've been getting a lot of thank yous too, which I don't really know how to react to. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of thank yous, which I very much appreciate. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's nice that people value what we do. Um, and you know, it's, but it's, it's something that always takes me off guard a little bit yeah. because I, you know, I'm in that similar boat where I'm like, I'm just doing what I exactly. know. And, exactly. I'm doing you know, what I know. Thank you. But I think it's interesting that, I mean, I'm yeah. not, I am actually not a marine biologist. I'm very clear on that point. I'm, I'm, yes, I did a biology major, but, but I am by 
they, someday they will have this, I will, I'm determined this will be in the drop down of kind of like what's your field, but um, it's not yet. But my, the drop down, the, 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 the automatic uh, box and the drop down of like, what's your industry or what's your field or what's your profession um, is for me, it's marine conservation professional. Um, I have been doing, you know, professional marine conservation for pretty much the entirety of my career. And there is no box for that yet. So I, that, that's how I define my, my box, um, or maybe more appropriately my Venn diagram, because all of my, all of my, um, work and, and I'm determined to continue it somehow has, has, has been at least related to, or squarely somewhere in the Venn diagram of, you know, ocean education and outreach, um, advocacy, you know, um, and policy, and, and, you know, science with the scientific underpinning, like keeping, trying to keep a little bit current of, of the science and, and understanding, you know, what, what we know so that we can use that for mm-hmm. both education and for decision-making. So to me, that's my Venn diagram that I want to keep working on. And, and sometimes I'm a little bit more of one and a little less of the other, but it, they're all still part of the Venn diagram that is marine conservation professional. Um, and, and that's that I just, I, it's important to me that I don't ever get to the point of like, oh, I used to work in marine science, but, um, you know, I think that it's because, because other people, you know, others have, have made the choice of, it's just interesting to me. It's always an interesting reflection that I have almost every time I hear like, oh yeah, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but, and it's like, well, but why not? I mean, yeah, yes, it's there's almost a like a similarity to you hear about you hear about like rock stars right. and starving artists, and it's like kind of a similar right. thing right. where and I, you know you you're know, like, it, I have this burning passion inside of me to do this thing, yeah. and I'm gonna make it happen, even if you know that means I'm taking jobs where I'm not getting paid as much as I should, and you know that's a whole systemic thing that well, needs to sure. be changed yeah. anyway yeah. across so many. Different, you know, backgrounds, whether you're an of artist course, or a teacher yeah. or a conservation yeah. professional. But, you know, it's a lot of that similar experience where it's like, well, I wanted to make it happen. So I, I just did what I had to do yeah. to keep moving toward that, you know, that goal. Yeah. Um, even if that meant, you know, being uncomfortable or taking some yeah. crazy jobs or moving all over. But you're right. I I also think that at some point you get to a place where you want a little more stability yeah. or, you know, at least yeah. I do where you want to be able to pay your bills and maybe buy a house. And yep. um, so, you know, then you have to make some, some bigger life decisions about how do you keep uh, that conservation side of your career in your life while not, uh, being able to work, you know, not being, exactly. Although that's fine too, if that's what you do, you know, um, I want to be careful. I am, I am, I mean, everybody has their path to tread and I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to be so determined to keep working. Um, some of the reasons that I was able to, you know, just keep slogging and, and, um, and pushing and, and, having amazing experiences along the way, but really, really being able to stay focused on my career, um, in a, in a, in a, when there wasn't really a clear pathway per se, um, is because, you know, I, I, you know, again, I, I, I come from 
from a, a privileged upbringing. And, you know, I, I need to acknowledge that. I mean, that's not, that's not always the case for everybody. And, and I, I do, I do acknowledge mm-hmm. that. And I know I was lucky to be able to draw on that. Um, and so to the extent possible, one of the things that I'm also trying to keep um, explicit in my Venn diagram is, is, you know, what are the ways um, that I can, that I can hopefully be a mentor or give back or, you know, be a resource for people who may, who may not, who may not already have that, those support systems into place. Um, I actually think that that's like a, a perfect segue into having you describe for the listeners a bit more about like, what is your role at the National Aquarium and what are some of your main responsibilities? Sure. There? So, um, so the National Aquarium is a, is a, is a nonprofit organization um, here in Baltimore, Maryland. Our mission is to inspire the conservation of the world's aquatic treasures. Um, and um, we are also um, uh, one of the largest uh, organizations here in Baltimore. I, I think that uh, we would we would we are proud of being a, a you know kind of a community um, uh, anchor here in the Inner Harbor. Um, my role here, I'm the conservation policy manager, so I work with our um, with a number of different teams here in the aquarium um, to really. Um, highlight the fact that we are a conservation organization in addition to being a wonderful place to come and be inspired um, about the world's aquatic treasures. Um, yes, we have a world-class aquarium and it's worth visiting as you referred to. Thank, uh, thank you in the beginning. It's, it's, it's a cool place. It's mm-hmm. a really nice place to come and um, learn something new or be reminded of why you love sharks or um, see, see and hear the puffins that we have or, you know, um, uh, walk through our Australia habitats, um, you know, see jellies. Jellies are always just very, I feel very Zen meditative. Um, you know, so I think that it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful aquarium, but, um, like, like many, if not most aquariums, um, uh, that we work with through the association of these aquariums and and others, I mean, they are, they're really, we are really working on being a force for conservation. And um, I think it's exciting that, you know, we can, there is a world-class aquarium, but there's also, um, there's also all this other stuff that, um, that I get to work on through, through a conservation and conservation policy lens. Um, So my, my role. Yeah, I think, I think it's so great. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think it's so great that, you know, the aquarium, and I've noticed this with a number of aquariums around the country too, is, you know, yes, serving in that education role and being this really amazing place to go and see wildlife and interact with you know, all of these experts on all of these different issues, uh, but then start messaging about climate change and, mm-hmm. and tying that into, you know, if you if you really love the experience here and the creatures that you're learning about here mm-hmm. and able to see, you know, here's the broader picture of, of how that ties into what's happening at a global and atmospheric, you know, level with our climate. Exactly. And how you can keep this, how you can keep some of the things that, that really stick out to you about your visit here, how you can keep incorporating that, you know, that sense of wonder or that, you know, sense of mission throughout, you know, your day-to-day life. And so I think that's, that's the, that's, that's also part of what we're trying to do. And that's, that's really, I think where I see, um, I think it's, I think it's great that, you know, there are, there's 
a wealth of expertise in so many different areas at an organization like this one. The National Aquarium has, you know, experts on nearly any animal you could think of. Um, we have people who just, just, I mean, we have, we have true biologists, obviously we have biologists who are expert in, you know, the, the life history and the behavior of so many different amazing animals. Um, uh, from, you know, from birds to, to reptiles, to snakes, to archer fish. I mean, there's, it's, it's really cool to know that there's such a strong, um, you know, scientific capacity in, in caring, uh, giving the best possible care for the animals that live here as ambassadors to, you know, (laughs) all of the species that we need to keep around. Um, for theirs and our health. Um, so we really, I mean, my role is to bring some of, some of the policy background, you know, how, how we humans manage, um, really ourselves. I mean, I think that's something that, um, aquariums and, and, and zoos and other institutions, we have the opportunity to help people to understand that it's not wildlife management. We are managing us so that we can, that we can still have wildlife and enjoy them and also, you know, enjoy our, our, our quality of life. And, and so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling again, but, but I think it's exciting that, you know, we can try to build the connection between, you know, seeing something that's amazing, learning about an animal you, you may not have known, um, I mean, I, I, before I came to the National Aquarium, I confess I had not been familiar. I was not familiar with shield shrimp. And on one of my first days here, I got to see shield shrimp, which are these, these sort of one of these living fossil type, small, small invertebrates. Um, and I was so excited about the shield shrimp because I'd spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about aquatic and marine systems. And I had never heard of shield shrimp. And it was one of the best days in my first week, if not my entire time here at the aquarium, because I was just so happy to know that there were such a thing as shield shrimp. And (laughs) my my now colleague who was doing our orientation tour around the aquarium, I remember her saying to me, I've never seen anyone so excited about the shield shrimp. I was like, well, I didn't didn't even know there were shield shrimp. (laughs) This is like a... It's like a testament right. to the wonder that the aquarium can spark in people yeah. from all ages, backgrounds, you know, education levels. I mean, I, I feel the same way whenever I go to an aquarium, yeah. you know, you, you, you're, I'm always learning something new. And I think that's like a very special thing about the ocean is there's just so, there's much. so much that we, there's so much <laughs> that we still have to learn, just, even though we've learned a yeah. bit and there's a lot of there's, things yeah. to share. Um, and I, and I will say that I think that one of the things that drew me and keeps drawing me to aquarium world, um, is it's such, it's so much fun to have the opportunity and sometimes it's 10 seconds, but if, if you can work in a little bit about the fact that, you know, um, uh, it, it matters your, your, your life is in, it's intricately connected to, uh, frankly, the, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, because not only do they help predict the weather, um, their satellites or the data is involved in predicting the weather, but also that, you know, w- people work with them in order to manage the, the wildlife populations that, 
that give us some of the seafood that many people like to eat, right? And so it's trying to work in these like complicated, complex processes that are that are at play and and actually really connected to people's day to day. But but understandably, they may not know much about them at all because we're 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 a land species, right? And so it's fair that a lot of people may not think about you know. The, manage, the fisheries management system in this country, which, by the way, is excellent and, and is, is, mm-hmm. is really, you know, a model for, for many places. Um, or, you know, how we how we um, have uh, how the clean water law, how the Clean Water Act and how, you know, work to to ensure that we have clean water is is obviously connected to everybody's, you know, literally day to day life. I mean, trying to figure out the ways to work in a couple, you know, messages about this is, this is, this is what's going on. And this is, this is why it's important. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting to try to figure out the ways to connect, you know, policy and, and, and um, management systems that are, that are turning away um, to, you know, oh, I really like, I, I, I don't actually, I'm sitting here, I'm like, I don't actually know anything about whether or not there's any management of shield shrimp whatsoever. But you know, I mean, getting people to be aware of, you know, um, why the Marine Mammal Protection Act is relevant and important and you know, is the reason why there's there's been a, a, a great recovery of so many um, cetaceans, so many whales. You know, I mean, the the I mean, the fact that yeah, that may be not something that you're thinking about every day, but it's a really cool thing. And you know, if it if it if we get to help introduce that concept, um, so that people can think about like, oh yeah, there's there's some there's some really good things about you know obscure, seemingly obscure you know laws that are in place, whether they're whether they're local or state or or federal and, and that they benefit me. And that's, that's a good thing. And, you know, I mean, those sorts of things, I mean, we can't, we can't go and we can't necessarily work it into a detailed discussion, but, you know, maybe that's something that people take away in addition to, Oh, I really like being able to see, you know, the fact that the aquarium rescues seals and release and rehabilitates them and releases them. Well, you know, how is that connected to other things and, and trying to build those connections, even, even just, even just sparking an interest you know, this, this day and age, people can go and take that and they can go and, you know, do a lot of their own research and um, hopefully, you know, figure out, you know, what are some good resources? We're one, we're one good resource, but we can also help point people to other good resources where they can learn more. So, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, especially with like the focus on the, under the umbrella of resiliency and looking at it from that angle where, you know, a lot of climate, um, science and news can be messaged about in, in a pretty alarming way, which sure. it should be because it is alarming. But um, I, I really appreciate the angle of resiliency and thinking about these issues that, you know, um, you know, we're acknowledging that it's no longer a future problem or a problem for exactly. future times that this is happening right now in, in our own backyards and in our communities. But there are also plenty of things that we can be doing immediately to help mitigate the impacts of a changing climate. I agree. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's, I mean, we talk a lot here um, about how we really, we really want to inspire the next generation um, current, but the next generation of hopeful conservationists. And, and it can be challenging to, to 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 retain that to retain a solutions focus and hopeful um, tone because there are really big challenges out there. I mean, yes, 
the climate crisis is, I would argue, the the the, the biggest challenge because it relates to pretty much all the other challenges um, that we have ahead of us. We as a as a as a global society. Um, and you know it can be daunting, and and yes, of course it is it is it is challenging. Um, it is it is uh, I think disingenuous not to acknowledge that. However, we also know that if 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 you get bogged down in the in the the dauntingness and the challenge and the you know overwhelming nature of it, then that's where people that's where some people will stay. <laughs> that's not really actually conducive to to implementing the solutions that are ready at hand. I think that, you know, one of the things that we um, really focus on here, whether it's um, interfacing with decision makers or it's um, talking with people who come through our doors or um, working with many different partners and coalitions, um, it's really exciting to focus on. And and genuinely, I, I do have optimism because, there are so many solutions. There really are. And and it's not a matter of inventing new technologies or or learning new things that we have to that we have to we know enough. We know plenty. And there's a lot of really cool things happening, um, whether it's here in Maryland or along the Mid-Atlantic or in the US, in cities and states and, and um uh counties around the country, in other countries where we can learn from. I mean, there's there is really, there is, it's an exciting time that we live in. Challenging, overwhelming at times, but exciting <laughs> because when you think about it, we know so much. We have really cool technologies that are, that are, that are innovate, that are being innovated all the time. And we're more connected. We can share that information and share that learning more than we've ever been able to do before come what comes with that is the response with great power comes great responsibility you know there is there is a need to help i think connect people again to those resources and to those to those those understandings so that they can sift through that information and to help hopefully connect some dots so that you know you can you can navigate through the complexity um and and stay focused on solutions at different levels right because sometimes yeah i mean a person who's visiting the aquarium may not be able to, um, you know, change change uh, climate policy, but they can be a voice towards towards productive climate policy or towards you know day to day solutions that can that can um, lower their carbon footprint in a way that works for them. So I think it's it's really exciting to to figure out really on a daily basis. Um, and through our various, you know, strategies to really connect solutions um, in the way that works the best for for a particular audience at a particular time, um, and 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 genuinely staying focused on those and and layering them right. So in some cases, you know, we really we work a lot around citizen science and community science efforts, where you know it may not seem that that running a bio blitz for people to make as many observations of plants and animals and species in a certain place over three hours um, is connected to policy. But if that's the thing that turns people on to the fact that pollinators are really important and it's important to make sure that decisions are made so that we can continue to have pollinators, um, which are relevant to uh, an estuary and aquatic systems and marine systems because, you know, everything is connected. So if it's, if it's going around and actually being part of a community science effort that documents a bunch of different bees, 
um, and other pollinators in, in an area. And maybe that's the thing that turns people on to, you know, native plants or, or wildlife gardens or, or pollinator biology, biology. I mean, who knows? Like, yeah, it's like all just like providing, really it's like yeah. providing just an opportunity to get out there in the building and interact and experience, um, you exactly. Know. And I think one of the, one of the most exciting, and this, this can be true of anything, but, but something that is, that is all that often comes up for me in, in working in a place like, like, like an aquarium, like the National Aquarium, um, and all the different things that that we do. There's a lot going on aside from being a really cool aquarium to come visit. Um, I invite everyone to go check out our website at www.aqua.org to, to get a sense of of all the different things we do in addition to having a, a cool aquarium to visit. Um, I think one of the things that really um, that motivates me, and I'm I'm getting I'm getting re reinspired, reinvigorated, just, just thinking about it, um, is, you know, we don't, we don't know, we don't necessarily know exactly, um, we, we here at the aquarium, but also in a lot of different, a lot of different roles, um, in the conservation space, we don't necessarily know what it is that is going to spark something, you know, the, the, the determination to take on a, a, a better habit, um, regarding, you know, using less stuff or, or, um, reducing your single use plastic or lowering your carbon footprint or whatever it is on an individual level. Um, or, you know, that inspires somebody to really say, Hey, you know, I want to learn more about this and, and understand, you know, what's going on here. So I'm going to make this my research project or, you know, Hey, I, I want to, I want to, you know, become a scientist that studies X um, I think that we don't, we don't know, we can't necessarily trace and trace that and get all the impact data. We, we're never going to get to figure out exactly what impacts. It's enough to know that, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to try to keep doing a really good job to inspire conservation. And, um, in some cases we'll have a sense of exactly how we might've accomplished that. But, but knowing that we're a piece of a puzzle that, that is that is catalyzing something that is a solution catalyzing solutions is 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 often more than enough for me it 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 makes it worthwhile you know aside from yeah, all the absolutely and that you can find in anywhere but but i think that is that is um a, a, a by the minute situation yeah. sometimes when you're thinking about you know the ocean and 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 keeping it uh working on ocean health and, um, you know, trying to address climate solutions and taking climate action. I think it, it can be overwhelming, but it's often enough to think, you know, all, all I'm going to do is just keep working on it and keep charging and trying to find something every day that maybe, maybe just maybe it catalyzed a solution, somebody to, to take part, of, take part in the solution or be more a part of the solution because a lot of people, yeah. there's so many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's so a many different angles. great mindset. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about the, some of the listeners, I'm sure are listening to this episode and I'm sure actually many of them have probably been to the national aquarium or We're are now planning I mean, as you yeah, aquarium. any aquarium or, We're you know, are now planning places. a trip to the national aquarium or your local aquarium. Um, but I'm wondering if you can share some ways that listeners can engage with you and your work. I know you just mentioned your website, um, but if, 
there are, uh, if you guys have social media or any other ways that it's easy for people to engage with you, of course, I'm sure visiting is probably number one. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> and I think, and I and I will say, I think that's true. I mean, I obviously, um, I, I've been, I've enjoyed often, you know, visiting zoos and aquariums. But now that I am a, a staff person at an aquarium, um, at, and have been, you know, either the prior aquarium or, or Aquarium of the Bay, or now a national aquarium, you know, I do think there's a bit of this kind of aquarium world. And I mean, the reality is, is that. I am even more likely now when I'm, when I do travel somewhere, whether it's for work or just for fun, I am even more likely to seek out the local, you know, zoo or aquarium or science museum in the place where I am, because I want to see like what they're doing and how they're, how they're working on, on a lot of the similar, if not the same issues, because it's, it's cool. Like it's, you get ideas, you, I mean, informally, formally, I think it's, so that is one thing that I would say, yes, if you're in Baltimore, please visit or come back to the National Aquarium and check out what we're doing and um, and and get involved. Um, if you're if you're in somewhere else in the country and it's been a while or you've never been to your your local aquarium zoo, um, I would encourage that that you seek out one that is accredited by by an association like the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Um you know, there's there's a lot of really good organizations out there that are that are that are pairing together this, you know, being inspired by by wildlife in the natural world with education and 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 you know doing more to 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 have wild you know to have play, have animals um, you know doing well. I'm sorry, I'm, it's the end of the day and I have not had enough coffee. But, um, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, grown certified coffee, obviously, but um, um, in my reusable container, naturally. Um, so those are some other things. In addition to, you know, going and supporting the, the organizations, um, whether whether you're here in Baltimore and, and you know, supporting the, the conservation nonprofits um, and, and places that are really trying to do this work, um, in, at the aquarium by visiting, you're, you're helping us. Um, and, um, uh, check out our events. We have a lot of different, we do, we do field conservation events periodically throughout the year. We have, um, special events here at the aquarium that usually involve some, um, amazing speaker, um, or film, or, uh, we have one coming up, uh, later this month in November. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, getting involved with your local, with the local organization that is working on this stuff. If you're not already, I would encourage people to, to find the conservation leaders in your neck of the wood. And, and whether it's for a day or in a, in a more regular capacity, you know, volunteering or, or, you know, encouraging your friends and family to check them out or go visit. Um, uh, obviously social media, I think um, there, again, there's, there's never been, there's, it's a lot of information and sifting through it can be a challenge, but there's a lot of really amazing things that are discussed if you, you know, can sift through the noise. Um, you know, I think that um, it's easier than ever in some ways to get real-time information about what's going on, whether it's, you know, a, a live stream from a research vessel at sea or it's, you know, checking out um, some of the examples of, of the animals that are on our feed that, you know, maybe you can't get to the aquarium, but you can kind of check out the, the beautiful photos of animals that, that remind us of why we do what we do. Right. So, 
Um, mm-hmm. we, you know, we're on, we have all this, we, we're, we, we participate in, I think all of the social channels. Um, I can't name all of our handles, but again, um, <laughs> I'm sure if you, yeah. So if whatever social media yeah. channel you enjoy browsing, uh, I'm sure that if you look up national aquarium, they will be yeah, and, the top. And I agree. And I mean, like finding, finding those, those groups that are, that are regularly contributing to sort of the, the ocean and climate conversations, um, you know, I think there's sort of an unofficial, uh, I've, I've, ref- I've seen it referred to, I've done it myself. Like there, there's sort of this ocean Twitter world. I think that, you know, finding people in ocean Twitter, um, <laughs> it can be, can be entertaining and also educational, hopefully, um, you know, figuring out who the, who your, your go-to, um, for me, I, I like to follow certain scientists that are, that are, um, also posting and, and are good science communicators. Cause that helps me to stay relevant with, with some of the science that's happening because, you know, there's, there's often new research sometimes every day or every week, you know, I mean, new sharks have been identified since, since, you know, last year. So, I mean, I think, I think there's so much to learn about, about, our environment, particularly in the ocean, um, what I don't know what the percentage is these days, but less than less than twenty five percent of it really has been has been fully explored and identified. So, um, I think figuring out what 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 about the ocean? I think every literally every single person, whether you work in an aquatic or marine capacity um, or not, I think that there I think that the ocean has has a pull to all of us and and. I would encourage everybody to really figure out what it is, whether it's, you know, a certain animal or, you know, you want to learn more about the Marianas Trench or you want to know, you know, who in your area is working on these issues or whatever it is. I think that there, there is always more that we can to, for us to do than we ever have time to do. So just pick something and, and learn about it or speak out about it or, you know, figure out how you can, build on your daily habits. I think probably a lot of people listening are already taking lots of individual actions um, to reduce some of their footprints, whether it's their water footprint or their carbon footprint or their plastic footprint or any of those prints. You know, I think a lot of us are taking individual action. That's great. I think there's always, it's always great to keep walking that talk. Um, I still have, I still certainly have work to do. I've I've got a lot of the single use plastic stuff down, um, minimizing my single use plastic, but I've still got work to do. And Um, I occasionally buy cereal boxes that have, you know, plastic bags in them. So there's always something else. There's always another habit that you can build on. And then, you know, there's always the chance to raise your voice and, and take, take your, your individual commitment to the, the, you know, the collective and the society and in whatever way that is, whether it's in being involved in your community group or your church group or your, um, uh, you know, a local, a local hiking club or any group that you're involved in, you know, chances are there will be people there that might agree with you and you might want to say, Hey, we care about this and we think this is important. And we think that there needs to be more than just individual action on this issue. You know, let's, let's, let's group together and say that we care about this as a, as a group and, and taking that, bridging from those individual actions to really um, deciding that it's important to, to, to move the needle so that the collective, so that our, our, our society, frankly, our species can do more to clean up its act. Yeah. And I I think you're exactly right that there are so many opportunities, both large and small, and there's, you know, there's so much space for all of us to get involved in, in, uh, you know, not just ocean conservation, just conservation in general. Um, you know, there's the interest is there, there's an opportunity 
um, for you to learn more and to take action. And, and so as we start wrapping up, I have a series of rapid fire questions that I, I'd like to throw you away. I think it would be fun to do this. I've done this with a couple of other guests and I think it, it's just really fun. It, it's interesting and fun to hear everybody's different perspectives because I'm very fortunate to be able to sit down and have a conversation with a wide range of different experts and really great minds. Um, so I'm interested in getting your perspective on a couple of things, starting with... Okay, um, I'm rapid fire, right? I can't ramble like I have been. Good luck with this. <laughs> yes. So what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we are faced with? Climate, the climate crisis, and specifically um, information overload. And navigating then, information overload of the climate crisis. And what are you hopeful for moving forward? Um, the fact that there are more and more climate-related conversations happening in, in lots of places. That is good. We need to talk more about it. Yes, I agree. Talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about it. it, gives me hope. it, it <laughs> yes. All right. And then this, this last one is a bit of a two-parter. So you actually might address the second part in your first response, but what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Uh, have a sense of humor, find, find, <laughs> find, find the humor in, in most situations. It, I love it, it's that. And then what advice do you have for our listeners? Um, I think that, well, first, thank you for listening. Um, I, I think it's, it's exciting um, to talk about these things and that there's a community of people thinking and talking about these things. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. Um, advice. I, I would say, you know, just whatever you're already doing that is, that is positive for, uh, climate action. That's, that is, that represents a positive climate action in, um, and, and in support of ocean health do it and and just however however challenging it can be on certain days just get just get up and do more of it i that i'm i'm advising myself right now if you can't tell like part of that is <laughs> is you know sometimes you just just get up and just keep keep doing what you're doing um especially if it's related to climate action and, and ocean health and you know talk talk about what you're doing and 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 be assured that it's important and it matters. And, you know, let's just, let's all keep doing that. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Uh, Maggie, I, I thank you so much for joining to me today. I really enjoyed our discussion and I, I think it serves as a great reminder for, um, of, you know, both the hardworking people that we have in the conservation community and the value, the value of, of aquariums as a tool that allows people to connect and learn about underwater environments and wildlife. Um, because, you know, as a species, I think all too often we fall into the out of sight, out of mind mentality. So having a venue to connect to this unbelievably beautiful and important watery world is just so important to uh, the flip side of not only learning about it, but conserving it.
I would also like to thank the listeners. So if, if you like this show and want to hear more, subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rates and reviews are always appreciated. And you can find us on Facebook at the American Shoreline Podcast Network and on Twitter at Coastal News 365. You can find me personally on Twitter um, at Yenna Benna, that's Y-E-N-N-A-B-E-N-N-A. And on Instagram, it's the same thing, but Yenna has three N's in it. So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. Mm -hmm.